We are back in Minneapolis. Today we're visiting St. Paul's Flat Earth Brewery, an old brewery built in an even older brewery. Inside the old Hams facility that has been up until a while ago was completely abandoned. We sit down with Franco and Hannah and hear the story of this brewery from them. I'm the Cycling Cicerone and this is Washington Beer Talk. Welcome to St. Paul's Flat Earth. Yeah, thank you so I'm much. I'm Franco, one of the owners and the director of operations here. All right, cool. So there are other owners. Yeah, in all, there's six owners, but really three of us that are really active. The other ones are more just financial owners. side. Not even that, just uh, gifted because of the way we ended up with the brewery. See, the brewery was started by someone else who had financial difficulties and was going under and through a chain of conversations we ended up stepping in and those people that were involved with that conversation received one and two percent so oh, okay. they're owners they just don't actively do much with the brewery. technically owners yeah i see okay they come get their free beer all right well that's that's, that's, that's the way to live exactly there's a ton of history in where you're sitting you are aware that you're in the original hams brewery let's get let's get into that a little bit so like yeah tell well, us the history of this place our patio, which we call the ruins, because it was uh, the building was set on fire in 2005 while this place was abandoned. That was the oldest building on the property. It was the car- car- carpentry shop. Um, the first brewery here was was actually known as Pittsburgh Excelsior Brewing, and that was owned by a guy named Keller, and he built that building out there um, in the late 1860s. He wanted to go to California to chase the gold rush and didn't have the money from the for the trip. So he actually borrowed the money for the trip from Theo Ham, placing the brewery up as collateral. Well, unfortunately, Keller died in California. So Ham inherited this brewery with zero knowledge of how to brew beer, but thought, what the heck, let's give it a shot. There was a, a mill, mill attached to it at the time as well. And he changed the name to the Theo Ham Brewing Company, hired Jacob Schmidt, who later started the Schmidt Brewery, not too far from here, another Minnesota brewery. Um, as his brewer, and they started to expand the operation. Well, over time, Schmidt and the Ham family had a falling out. He left, went down uh, Sweet Hollow Park here, which is right outside our, our building here, down to below the, the bluffs and bought the first brewery ever made in Minnesota. It was called North Star Brewing. He owned that until 1899 when a fire devastated that property. Then he moved over to the West 7th Street where his current brewery is. Well, it's not a brewery anymore, but that those buildings are. Well, 100 years later, Ham's grandson wants to retire, and he's running the brewery. He can't find anybody to take over the operation because it expanded to five breweries. Minnesota was the headquarters. St. Paul was the headquarters, but there was one in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Houston, and Baltimore. And because it was so spread out, nobody wanted the pro- to deal with the project. Ultimately, a distributor bought it from out east known as Hubline. I traded hands a few times. Olympia finally bought it. Olympia ran here for a handful of years. Ended up trading. They got bought by Pabst, and they traded this location with Strohs, who had a brewery in Tampa, Florida. Strohs came here in the late 80s, brewed for about 12 years. In 97, they up and left. Uh, The reason they left is because... The facility was so outdated, they couldn't produce beer in a cost-effective manner. 
and to keep up with the Budweiser's and the Coors and the Millers. So they left and these buildings sat abandoned for 15 years till we came in and started this project. Okay, so that was 97 they were abandoned for 15 years, which means you guys came here in 2012. Did I do that math right? You did do the math right. That's the end of 2012 is when we agreed to do the project. 2013, we started doing the cleaning and the rehab of the facility. Okay, so this building's got a lot of history. Like it's really, really old. It's got a lot of cool stuff going on. Um, you said the brewery's been here for for five years, but it's uh, um, but it's older than that. Flat Earth's been around for yes. longer. Yep, yep. The brewery was started in 07 by Jeff Williamson. He uh, ran it for three years and had some financial difficulties. Struggled a bit from the business sense. Was going to lose the brewery and his house. Uh, a customer who actually owns 1% of our brewery now contacted a finance guy from his church who owns 2% of our brewery now. And he contacted my business partner, John Warner, who convinced me that we could come in, save this brewery, create some jobs. And then our goal was to find a way to help St. Paul because we're both from St. Paul. Realistically, that's why we're here is this being an abandoned building. The neighborhood is a little bit run down or very run down at the time. We felt that if we could come in and establish our business, get other places to come over to the east side of St. Paul here, we could maybe get the neighborhood back going the way it was when Hams and 3M and Whirlpool, which were all major, major companies right within a three block radius here, were around. And, and it, was a, it was a thriving blue collar community at the time. Mm -hmm. You're talking about like trying to save the jobs, you know, kind of, you know, I don't imagine this brewery is anywhere on the scale of hands, uh, right? No, so like no. you're, you're operating this kind of in the shell of the old building. I can see your brewery back there and it's actually substantial. It's really yeah. big, but it's not, we're not talking hams. Right, right, right. The hams, this complex has over 60 buildings. Um, a majority of them are on the east side of the street and those are the newer buildings. Those are owned by Everest Leasing and they have small businesses and all over there. These buildings on the south side of Minnehaha, these are the original brewery buildings. Again, the room you're in right now is our newest building. This was uh, built in 1901, and this was the keg washing facility. I don't know if you noticed how the floors slope. Oh, uh, oh yeah. It's for water flowage. The bar is six inches taller on that end than down on this oh, end. Oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah. You can kind of see by the, you can even look at it by yep. the boards. On Once the you bar. look at it and, and realize that you, you picked that up and yeah. stuff. So, yeah, we only own, we and we count, the, the patio is considered a building as well. Mm -hmm. So we have three of the original buildings. I think there's, there's another six that are abandoned. Uh, there's one that's for sale that was where Urban Organics was, which was growing uh, hydroponic, uh, growing, raising fish and using the soiled water to grow hydroponic vegetables for restaurants. They've since moved. And then 11 Wells is the distillery, which is our neighbor right across the parking lot. Okay, so for the most part, you would say you're probably, you are, are you, would you say you're succeeding in your goal of sort of revitalizing the area, or at least being a part of that? Well, we're being a part of it. Um, luckily, we've had some great restaurants that moved in, um, in a similar time frame as what we have, uh, Tongue and Cheeks down the road, um, uh, Brunson's down the road, uh, a lot of other things have developed here. There's a, a rock climbing place not too far from here that is doing real well and they send people over. So we really work with the community to try and enhance and get people to share everything. You came involved around a time that this area, this facility opened, is that no, right? No, um, 2011, end of 2010, beginning of 2011 is when we took over at the old location, which was over by Pearson's Candy off of West 7th Street. So the Highland Park area of St. Paul. 
Okay, so that had been, so it had been around there for those, you know. Four That's years where Jeff so. had started the brewery. Yeah. And that was yep. and, okay. So in that time, that was pre Surly Beer Law, right? Yep. And, yep. Uh, and so they, so was that just a production facility? Was that did we they had do a it tap for, room or sorry a tasting room mm-hmm. where we sold growlers? But gotcha. Um, the tap room law, which was actually originally started by Summit Brewing. Mm. Um, that got passed, and because we were on a second floor, and uh, we would have had to have an elevator to be ADA, mm-hmm. which is very big in St. Paul, being uh, American Disabilities Act. Yeah, um, it just wasn't feasible for us to put an elevator in a building we were going to leave. Right. So we we never had a technically a tap room like we have here. We just had a tasting room and we sold growlers. Mm-hmm. Once we moved over here, we had plans for actually the tap room being in that front room. Uh, our wonderful friends from the ag department came in, told us we were going to have to put FRP up six foot high and around all those windows. It would have totally changed the feel for that room. So we nixed that. What's FRP? FRP is basically, um, plastic, uh-huh. plastic sheeting. Just to make sure the windows don't like shatter and break. No, people, no, or? no. It's, it's, it's a smooth wipeable surface to mm. event, prevent b- bacteria. Gotcha. Yeah. And they would, would, would have had us frame in those windows and everything and just would have taken away for the feel for that space. So we stopped that and then discussed where to put the tap room. And I came in on a Sunday with a, a piece of chalk and some tape and I taped out what you see as the bar here. And on Monday I said, guys, this is what I think we should do because we want to use the patio. At that time, that garage door wasn't here and the ramp for going out there wasn't there at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we knew that's what we were going to do. Yeah. And so we, they agreed that this is where we'd put it. And my brother built the bar for us. <laughs> right on. Your brother's a talented dude. This is yeah, really yeah. cool. Bar. Well, the cool part about it, just like these tables, if you notice the wood mm. right behind you is a crate. Yeah. Those crates were one of the only things left in the brewery in this building huh. from after you know all the scavengers went through here for fifteen odd years. Yeah, those crates weigh five hundred pounds a piece. Yeah, so wow. no Jeez. one was taking those. Well, yeah, what's no. inside those crates is this black material that you see on top of the bar. Let me take a look at that. Yeah, what is it? It's just a plastic that was used to. Um, Fix the outside linings of the tanks. It basically was insulation for the tanks, yeah. the big tanks. And these were repair kits, basically. Oh. Well, when I got here and saw them, I thought it'd be really cool to utilize them into the bar. Yeah. And my brother, who uh, is very talented, builds houses for a living, came down and I said, this is what I want to do. We cracked open a bunch of cases and started laying it out and made the decision on the bar. And then he came up with the top and then had a few extra ones and made these wonderful tables as well. Way to be. Uh, yeah, I can see now the like black, like a black rectangular sheet. Yep. And um, it's laminated underneath the, you know, the epoxy. Yeah, we've surface. got epoxy. To- yeah. Uh, so I can't quite tell what it feels like. But you can kind of see it th- in some of these boxes. Yeah. These boxes still full of it? All these are full. You can actually go touch it in that yeah, crate I'll, that I'll, has the end missing there. I mean, maybe I will go give that a poke real quick. Yeah, and again, it's, it's very brittle now compared yeah. to, you know, when it, they probably used it, but... Some of these are marked, they came from Switzerland on uh, 72474. Okay. So, hey, how you doing? Hi, this is Hannah from St. Paul's Flat Earth Brewing Company. All right, welcome. And you were busy over there just now doing the bartending. Yes, yeah. We were just talking about like the history of the building and doing all that stuff. I guess you probably overheard all that. Yes. We were talking about building the bar. Let's talk about what you both do here. So you said you're the director of operations. Yep, correct. He's okay. the boss. And Hannah is one of the taproom managers. She kind of 
takes care of everything for me, tap room related and making the place look Assistant real nice. Assistant tap room manager. Wow. So modest. Number one in my book. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy knows that too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Jimmy's not here, so uh, suck it, Jimmy. Suck it. <laughs> so how many people work uh, at the brewery these days? We have, with all the tap room folks, you know, a lot of them are part-time folks who have regular jobs, just enjoy the place and want to help out. So... I would say we have about 25 employees overall from the people that are my sales guys because we self-distribute. Sales guys, delivery guys, brewers, packaging folks, taproom folks, tasters at different events. So okay. 25 is a good number. 25 is a substantial number of people that have worked in a brewery. I come from Seattle where we've got a lot of really, really small breweries, you know, yeah. with five and 10, you know, barrel systems and four employees, you know, like it's insane. Yeah. Um, so 25 is, but actually sounds like more of the standard kind of out in this area, maybe a little bit, maybe depending based on who I've talked to so far. Sure. I want to go back real quick to something I mentioned earlier. Um, and I've, you know, one of the things I've noticed in this area is that a lot of brewers like to talk about the surly beer law. And I mentioned it and you said, that's this, like that was actually started by Summit. Yes. He sort of like uh, you didn't quite give an eye roll, but it was almost like a you know. No, not at all. It's just it's, it's more of the the fact that people get confused by you know they always call it the Surly Bill, the Surly Law. It's not. It's written as the Taproom Law, and it was started by Summit, but Summit backed away from it because they were afraid they were going to get too much backlash from their bar customers. Hmm. So they did. They they, they stepped back, and the, the law sat there for a good or the bill because hmm. it wasn't a law yet. Sat there for about a year and a half. And then um, uh, one of the media companies that works with our Brewers Guild was also working with Surly, and together they decided to go push the law. And that's where the name Surly Law kind of came into place. Okay. And it, I have nothing against Surly. I actually own their old canning line. They oh. are our friends. We yeah. are, you know, it just it, it wanting to clarify the fact that it really was started by somebody else. Gotcha. I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that that law has got like is so important here that I've heard it mentioned several yep. times. And I, I, I brought it up here, but you know, well, it, uh, part of the you know the thing is is that the alcohol laws in Minnesota are so tight compared to places like Colorado, Oregon, etc., yeah. um, Washington, mm -hmm. that that it was a big thing. It was a big so deal. suddenly, for us to be able to sell a pint of beer to a customer was astronomical. I mean, I, I still can't sell a can of beer for someone to take with them or a four-pack of beer for someone to take with them, which you can do in Colorado. Colorado, you can walk into a, a brewery and buy a keg from them. You can't do that here. Everything has to go through the liquor stores here. Oh, okay. We're allowed to sell growlers and 750s and a few other odds. You know, now the crawler, the can crawler, they're allowing that too. But as far as bulk packaging, you know, small quantities, we're not allowed to do that. Yeah. I was talking to someone else, and they were saying that, uh, like, growler sizes, you know, that standard 64 ounce, yep. and then the 750 milliliter, like, there's this unit change, right, well, in the it's, middle. It's so bizarre, and then, in, in, in the same sense, you know, when we first started in this industry, a 22-ounce bomber was the, the way you sold craft beer. Right. We couldn't sell them here, but three ounces more, 3.5 ounces more, I can sell you a 750, not a 22. 750 is 25.3 ounces so good grief uh, yeah yeah just, so. it, just last year actually was when minnesota changed the laws to allow liquor store sales on sundays yeah oh and, yeah and, and they actually 
was, I think it was one year before that they let the breweries do it. As kind of like a, a test market, if you will. Oh, so there was a while where breweries weren't allowed to set their tap rooms open on Sunday. Nope, nope, nope. Couldn't have a tap room open. Couldn't sell beer on Sundays, which actually was great for me because I'd come down to the brewery and I could get all my work done. Yeah. I didn't have nobody calling me. <laughs> but, you know, that, 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 that's all changed. and It's great to have people down here on Sundays. We try to do a lot of events on Sundays, whether it's a you know, fundraiser for, you know, obviously you've seen the dogs here. We're a dog-friendly brewery. Um, we do fundraisers for for different dog rescue comp- um, groups, and we try to utilize the the building for the neighborhood as much as possible. It's funny, like that. I'm so I'm originally from Texas, and in Texas we okay. have a similar problem, you know, with, in terms of you know breweries not be able to sell their beer. Uh, a thing that I used to do all the time. Uh, there was a, a brief period. It must have been the law must have changed in 2013, right? You guys are probably a little bit ahead of Texas yeah. on, a, on changing that rule because there was a, a period where I would go to my favorite breweries and you'd pay five dollars for a tour and then you got samples for free. Yeah. And so they say, "Here's your free pint glass. Well, thanks for coming to the tour." And people would be all like, "I already have one." And they walk in, they get their three samples, and the samples were like they they weren't the four ounce samples. They were like usually eight ounce samples. Okay. And so you do three eight ounce samples for five dollars, which was like. There you go. That's like two beers. And, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, and that, that, that was a great value. And then one day, the, and then I moved to Seattle. And then sometime when I between when I had moved and when I came back to visit, they changed the laws. All of a sudden, all my favorite breweries had double the you know double the cost of their beer. Right. Sure. Um, which is which is fantastic for the industry because of course now. Right. Um, and in that time, uh, a whole bunch of new breweries opened up, and um, you know took over in the same way that it's happening here. Um, you guys are you've been around for. Longer than that, so you've been you, you were pre pre Surly yeah. pre Summit. Yeah, I well not pre Summit. Summit was right. was one of the first. Surly and Flat Earth kind of started the same time, if I'm not mistaken. Again, I wasn't around then. Yeah, but I think Surly might have been late '06 and Flat Earth was early '07. Okay, They're really close to to when they started together. Yeah. yeah, which makes your brewery like by brewery terms ancient. Right? Yes, we're we're, we're 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 a classic. Yeah, yeah totally a classic. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about the brand a little bit because sure. I don't really know, um, you know, I'm trying to get a vibe for what Flat Earth is real about. And I'm like looking at your, you know, you've got some really cool flags up here for your beers. Uh, I look at the... For our four year-round beers, what you see there. So those four we have available all the time mm-hmm. um, in cans now. But again, those were the, the flagship beers, the, the four that we made all the time. Right. I can see you've got the Angry Planet. I think on the menu you had something else called like the Livid Planet. Correct. And uh, so you've got like you know Grumpy Earth is part is a is a thematic component. Do you guys like? There's a lot of space yeah. conspiracy type stuff, you know. Um, other than our, our Belgian Wolfhound with a Belgian waffle in his mouth for a Belgian beer, there's no real conspiracy there. Just fun stuff. Uh, the Northwest Passage, you know, that was known as the secret. Sub, submarine passageway, you know, back in the, the 60s and stuff. So a lot of the stuff plays off of humor like that. Okay. Um, our porter, Cygnus X1, uh, Jeff, the original owner, was a huge Rush fan, made the beer for a show they were coming to town for. Cygnus X1 is a Rush song. Now, we do infusions of that particular beer, and all but, I think, one is named after a Rush song. All the infusions are. So there's Grand Design, yeah. there's Dreamline, there's Monkey Business, uh, there's YYZ. You know, they, they, so they all have a name from a Rush song, except for our Irish cream, which is called Puka. Uh-huh. And Puka is a fictitious fairy 
uh, Irish fairy that caused mischief and mayhem. So it's kind of appropriate for us in a certain way. I'm, I'm trying to get a vibe for like where you kind of picked that theme up. Again, that theme was started with Jeff, right. with the original brewery, and, and um, it kind of goes along with the whole name, uh, the, the, the name Flat Earth. We're yeah. not necessarily Flat Earth believers. I have nothing against them. I've had their meetings here. Uh, I think it's great. They tag us on all their Twitter messages, so we get all this weird publicity and comments and stuff, and I just usually respond, hey, we just make really good beer. Come try some. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, Jeff had um, uh, was trying to think of a name for the brewery and was working at a town hall, a brew pub, the two to eleven shift. Then coming back to St. Paul, stopping in the bar and met this elderly eccentric guy who was putting him back. And they started talking. And the first time Jeff met the guy, he was telling him how he worked for NASA and put the man on the moon and all this scientific stuff. Well. Two months later, he met the guy again, same situation, putting him back. Now the guy's a flat earther. Well, those two uh, theories totally contradict each other. And I th that's kind of where all the tongue-in-cheek humor kind of started. Was Wait, that. did you say he was a NASA guy, went flat earther? Yeah, well, okay. again, I think most of it was all in his head. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. And I won't make you go too far into talking about that flat earth stuff for the sake of remaining neutral on yeah, that particular well, debate. Yeah, I, I love them. They're great people. Yeah. <laughs> What is your favorite beer here? Caesar's Ransom. Yeah, I'm a big Angry Planet fan. Angry Planet, you like the you like the standard go-to number one guy. Just a good everyday beer. Then what did you say? The which? Junior's Ransom, the Blood Orange IPA. Uh, okay, that was the one you couldn't get your brother to drink. All right. <laughs> okay, cool. What is your favorite beer of all time? Well, that's hard. You know, I, I grew up here in St. Paul. About my 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 parents' house where I grew up was less than a mile from the Summit Brewery, and I've always been a supporter of their... Anytime I went somewhere, I'd order a Summit, and I'd get the glass that say, imported from St. Paul. Well, when we... So that's, my answer is the Summit Extra Pale, um, which is very close to Angry Planet. But I'd always say imported from St. Paul, so when we took over the brewery, we registered that trademark, so now we say imported from St. Paul for our company's trademark. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So you, did you, you stole that trademark? No, I always said it myself. Okay. Every time I got a summit, my background was in marketing and advertising. Okay. So I always jokingly, that was my uh, summit beer reporter from St. Paul. That was okay. always my joke. Uh, when we took over this place. Okay, uh, now I see. Okay. We, we registered it and we use that now for Flat Earth. Um, I do love the Junior's Ransom Flat Earth, but my favorite is going to be a sour from Evil Twin. It's the Nasty Trunks Dry Hop Sour Ale. Ooh, a Dry Hop Sour yes. Ale. Well, yes. we'll see how you like the Avni Sour that's back right now. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Yeah, yeah. They have one of our beers souring right now. Oh, man. Okay, did you do like a, so it's souring in a barrel right now? Or? Souring in a large fermenter and I didn't make it. Don't, yeah. don't brew. It's not my territory. I just yeah. know what's in it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> How big is the um, is the brewery these days? Uh, well, our, our brew system is 15 barrels. We have five 15 barrel fermenters and five 30 barrel fermenters. So we have 10 fermenters. Um, we'll produce between 
22 and 2,500 barrels this year is my is right about where we'll end up. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. You do self distributing, so 2,500 puts you well under the 20k cap yep. for doing that. Do you know any breweries that are hitting that cap or having to deal with that problem right now? Um. Gosh, specifically, I think. You don't have to know specs on other. Yeah, it, kind of- I know a few of them got pushed out with the. You know, we're going to get pushed out with the growler thing because they are running over the limit for that. But that law got changed last summer, so that's okay. So uh, you know, specifically, I, I can't say. I can't say. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, because so far, most people I talk to, they they talk about that. That twenty k limit is uh, um, you know stratosphere. You know, it's, it's pretty far up there. Yeah, yeah. you got to produce a lot of beer. Twenty five hundred sounds about. On, on the level, I think I was talking to Indeed. Um, they're they're a little bigger than that. Oh yeah, they're 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 probably close to five five thousand barrels. I'm yeah. guessing at least. Yeah, and it's it's fun talking about Indeed and you guys who make you know twenty five five thousand as big breweries because you kind of are you know relative like you guys are the yeah like I said yeah it's funny it, it, you're hundred percent right you know when you look at the scope of things a lot of these breweries that are just tap room breweries in strip malls etc just small little spaces. They're the little guys, but I look at us and I go, well, we're actually a small brewery as well. Yeah. But there is obviously different levels of, of, yeah. it, of it all. So I guess we'd be kind of like a mid-range. In Seattle, we've got a lot, a lot, a lot of the little, little guys. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point now where it's crowded out. So we've got regional that. breweries of this yeah. of your scale. Actually, uh, well, let's get a feel for your scale. So how far out do you do? No, we are just... Get? primarily Twin Cities area. Okay. So not even, mostly because yeah. of the fact that we self distribute. Yeah. Now we do um uh there's a distributor down in Rochester known as Shots that does come pick up some of our beer for some of the liquor stores down there. But primarily all of our beer is sold in the Metro ring mm. um by me and my staff. Okay. Um and so yeah, getting a sense for like so that's that's sort of your distribution scale. So you're not even a regional. You're sort of a, a citywide, you know, yep. Two, yep. dual city. That's you know, that's a pretty good scale to be at, actually. I think uh, because any larger than that, you start getting. At least this is how it is in Seattle. You really can't grow. There sort of are a few regional places, but um, it's it, there's not enough shelf space, and there's not enough. It's amazing you know, the, the battle for shelf space. Uh, you know, you're right. There's there's so many, especially now with the mobile packaging companies. You know, they're coming and packaging stuff for folks, so you don't even have to have the investment of, and we have our own canning line. Like yeah. I mentioned earlier, we bought Surly's canning line when they bought their new half-million-dollar one. Um, people don't even need to have that expense anymore. They just have to have the space for it or to, to store the packages. So the uh, in the liquor stores, man, it's just so crowded. It's so yeah. crowded. What kind of tactics do you use to get into the liquor stores? Well, but, you know. it, I don't really consider them tactics. I consider it relationship building. Uh, my sales folks all develop relationships with you know their sales reps at the liquor stores. Uh, we do what we can to help them out. Um, you know, being a small brewery, I fight the distributors all the time. Being an independent, I don't have the ability to make giant wall signs and stuff like that because it's just not what I have. So I'm always I'm always battling that stuff. You know, we we have to base our success on good relationships. And good people. Mm. Okay. And doing a good job. I mean, yeah. you know, following through. Of course, yeah. You got to have good liquid and you know good quality and everything. Well, I'm, I'm totally confident in the the, the quality of our beer. Yeah. Bob, one of my one of the owners, he's my, my mate, one of my partners. 
Uh, he makes really good beer. I never questioned that at all. I just, you've got to get the cooler space. You got to get, you know, the market. Get the mind share, get yeah. all that stuff. It's hard, man. There's a lot of. It's work. It's a lot of guys. Everybody thinks, oh, let's it. get in the brewery. Uh, yeah. let's, go, let's go open a brewery. It'll be great. <laughs> in Seattle, the way they do it, the way, basically the way that it is now, there's no regional space. There's no shelf space left. You no. shouldn't be fighting for it. If you want to open a brewery, you still can, but it basically has to be a Starbucks scale brewery. You know yeah. how there's a Starbucks in every corner? There's a brewery in every corner there. Yeah. And like, that's. Taproom breweries. That's the scale yep. you can live at. Yeah, that's yeah. like, and, that's, and no one feels bad that they can't, like, get past that yeah i mean some people do some people are striving for it some people are happy to pop around there um are you guys do you guys have a growth sort of trajectory well yeah we uh you know we are continuing to grow we just you know added the two new two new 30 barrel fermenters in the last six months um we are in the middle of remodeling the second floor we're doing the demo right now for the second floor yeah that will be a uh large-scale bar restaurant you know each floor on this building that you're in is 8400 square feet so that the next level will be a very big bar restaurant and then the third floor um, which will be our last project for this building gotta do it Ah, actually it's (laughs) gonna be a a, an event space it used to be the hams family private event space yeah that's where they would hold all their parties because their houses were up on the hill there yeah. So they'd have their, all their big parties on the third no floor. Way. Yep. And there was a dance floor up there. And again, I think the first time I came in the building, I skated across it because it was no one was taking care of the building. So yeah. the water was leaking in Oof. and stuff. I mean, yeah. this I realize we're on the radio. Yeah. But if you could see the photos of what this place looked like when we started our project. Now, you can because I can show you on the wall over yeah. there. But it's, it's, it's amazing how much work we've had to do just to get it to where we are now yeah i'll publish some photos so people can look them up oh cool yeah. great great um let's see um is there any chance i can get like will i be able to get a sneak peek of the upstairs and like take a yeah, look I at can it up there. that'd be really cool yeah. uh i just love this like an old building like it's so neat yeah right um, now they're pressure washing the graffiti off the second floor but i i'll, I'll take you up there not okay. third floor. Yeah, yeah that'd be phenomenal let's talk a little bit about the about the industry. Mm-hmm. So like the industry in general, like, you know, you guys down here have had this, the, you know, the reason on evil that sort of allowed for the revolution to come through. And it's been eight years now and yep. seven years and things are probably changing. And Seattle, the thing I ask all the time is um, how does Budweiser kind of get in your way? And I've noticed that they do that a lot. In Seattle. Yeah. That are, yeah. The shell space is owned by them. They own a lesion, which is a huge, like a huge regional favorite brewery yeah. got bought by them. And now Budweiser can put, six tabs of Elysian on any bar yeah. and everyone thinks, oh, well, I got tons of choices, but really they only have the one. Yeah. Um, do you have to, do you butt up against them at all? Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned Budweiser because my younger brother is uh, the facilities manager for a major distributor in the state oh. of Budweiser. Uh. <laughs> so uh, we have a lot of conversations about this and, and yeah, um, we do butt heads with them a lot. Again, as I'd mentioned, you know, they have the, the capabilities of making all these, you know, signs and they bring in, you know, neon signs for folks and, and mirrors and, you know, stuff for the bar, all branded. And, and even though there's technically laws against it, they're able to just do it. And unless somebody makes a huge fuss about it, they're going to continue to do it. Um, so yeah, we butt heads against them all the time. And that's, you know, more than once my guys have established shelf space in the cooler and I don't know where the next week it's gone. And it's, oh yeah, 
um, this particular distributor came and reset, and I won't use any distributors' names. Yeah. Because, and whenever that happens, always the independents, guys like myself, we get shuffled, and then you got to you know, talk to your guy, and they manage to get you back in there. But it's 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 a major challenge all the time being a little independent fighting against a huge, huge corporation. One of the things I've heard recently is that sort of it's not necessarily Budweiser that's the enemy, but it's the distributors that do It really that. is the yeah. distributors. It's just Budweiser gives them the money. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, again, my brother who manages the facilities for a Bud distributor, they have a craft division just, you know, Tuesday night, I was up at the cabin where he lives. He lives at our family's property up there. And we were having a discussion. And, and if it wasn't for the Budweiser end of things, the craft division wouldn't even be there because they don't sustain their own finances. Everything is propped up by the distributor, by, by Budweiser. One of the things, another, another thing I heard recently, I was talking to a brewery in Seattle, and they do use Budweiser as a distributor. One of, uh, one of they, just, they can self-distribute as well. They've got some Budweiser distributors that are, they, they, they said specifically they use Budweiser as a distributor. I'm not sure what that technically means. Uh, but they basically said, yeah, the distributor buys as much of their beer as they want, much of your, as, as much of your beer as they want, and sometimes they'll sit on it. They'll just, they won't distribute it. They'll just say, they get to be the taste, maker, taste, taste makers. They get to be the taste makers over yeah. there and just uh, decide if your brewery lives or dies. If you can't, if you're not going to, if you're going to take them on as distributors, you might as well just die. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation. It's a tough situation. You know, again, having conversations with my brother and he tells me about, you know, all the beer that they destroy because it gets old before they use it. Similar situation. Now, I'm not saying they aren't deliberately trying to sell it, but they'll buy up stuff to uh, lock in a brand. And if they can't sell it, well, it just gets flushed. Yeah. You know, which weird. is sad. Yeah. Which is sad. Your brother owns that or is, not, is part of that distributing what are the conversations between you two like? Because I've had conversations. <laughs> I've had conversations. Well, they're, they're, with you know, we're brothers, so they're they're friendly. They're friendly, but well, it's, I imagine it's, it can be less friendly than a strange, like a yeah, conversation. Yeah, you know what? It, at this point in time of our lives, you know, maybe twenty years ago, it would have been a little bit different. But you know, we're both in our fifties, and and we we do a lot of stuff together. So it, and it's just it's interesting to just hear his perspective on the industry. Like you know, he does not like craft beer at all. Uh, I can get him to drink our Hepcat, which is our Blondale, which is coming out in a, a week or so. But uh, he drinks Bud Light. That's what he wants to drink, and that's what he will drink. And, and I mean, I have him try some of these other things, like our Junior's Ransom, our Blood Orange IPA. Uh, he's just like, oh, I can't drink that. I can't drink that. I will say, though, I will say he does enjoy our Eastside Double IPA. Which really is the off hell? the cuff. Yeah. Don't know why, but he does enjoy that particular beer. That is so weird that yeah. you would, yeah, like the double IPA when you can't drink anything else. <laughs> yeah, even I it's drink a double IPA. I'm like, yeah, I'll have, I'll have eight ounces of that. <laughs> yeah. I'll be done, right? Well, that's his comment, too, is I can only have a little bit of it. But he does like <laughs> that particular beer. That's too funny. Yeah, now the conversations I have with company men of Budweiser is they like uh, their... They like to say that independent brewers are getting in this stink about being independent, and wow, that should that shouldn't be a big deal. You know, it's all about the liquid. It's all about how good it is. You know, it's all about people consumers getting the beer that they want, the beer that they like. And uh, you know what? Brewers really should be united against liquor and wine, not against each other. You know, 
and they you know they talk about the independent sure. beer label that little upside down which guy. we use now yeah yeah, yeah like you, you got it because you want to be able to sell your beer as independence not as like you know you want to make sure because if Budweiser's not going to tell everyone that they own Goose Island and Elysian and all that. I know. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, then we got to tell them that we are not owned by them. And that's <laughs> sort of my opinion anyway. I, um, I agree with that. Yeah. And then, the, but these, yeah, these guys will come in and all, I don't know. I think that it's so hard to debate with them because they're so, they're still passionate about beer. They still love yep. beer yep. so much that it's a, you know, we technically agree. <laughs> that's technically my number one. We agree. We just have different routes of getting there. My number one rule when I'm having a drunken argument with someone over anything is that, you always agree. You already agree already. So this <laughs> argument is pointless. This this argument is really a discussion to figure out on what things you agree and why you're talking about it. Because you always come sure. in and yeah, you're talking to a Bud Light guy and the reality of it is you do agree. You both love beer and you want everyone. He wants you to drink more Bud Light. You want him to drink more craft. But you know what? The, both, the, the reality of it is you both agree that you want each other to drink the beer that each other likes. And you know what? Why are we arguing? Of course. Let's I have think, a beer. I think, we sh- I think we should argue. I think we got to have, you know, we got to make that stand at some point because Budweiser is deliberately getting in the way of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've gone on a bit of a rant now. Let's, uh, okay. uh, let's see. Um, what kind of cool stuff do you do as one of the taproom managers? What does that Assistant taproom manager. One of, <laughs> one, of, one of the taproom managers. One of the taproom managers. I do some projects around here. So for this summer, I really wanted to get the patio more developed, um, make it a better, more welcoming space for people. So we got, I worked with Frank on this. He footed the bill for everything and got, yeah, she, she got did all it the done. Planning, so. um, other than I, we, I built the flower boxes, yes. but other than and that, you she hung did the lights too. <laughs> so I got the lights ordered. So it, it kind of resembles this European cafe almost with the the ruins around. And then, like Franco said, he built some flower boxes and with my mom's help, which is a fun project together with her. That's nice. We, the whole family. Yeah, <laughs> we planted the flowers and. Um, they, re- they look really good. Yeah. So, gotten quite a few compliments on them. Questions, where did you get these from? And I've seen a lot of uh, selfies mm-hmm. being taken oh, cool. by it's, them. Yeah, so. That's great. It's, yeah. I, I only peeked back there for a second, uh, yeah. but it's like really, really cool. And when you, when you kind of look like what sort of happened in my experience was I walked in here, came straight to the bar. That was the first thing yep. I saw. And then noticed that there was this thing and I can see the, you know, burned out side of the building through this door from this angle and I thought oh man I, I gotta go check that out and you walk into it and you're like where am I you do get transported a little bit yes. like it's uh, it, it is a, yes. it's cool and I'll, I'll definitely post some photos of it so people can see what that it's looks like it's a very unique space and then uh, we get music out there on Friday and Saturday no, night yeah, and, yeah, yeah. well Thursday too if we have open mic music that night yeah uh, you gotta have some get, acoustic guitar guy blasting back oh there, we had some like, great great performances uh, out there dude yeah, yeah, yeah great right performances on, right on um, we yes, also have a, a guest bird back there a peregrine falcon has taken up residence back there so it'll like kind of watch you but the day he was sitting out in front of 11 wells on one of the the small trees out there just yesterday just yesterday he likes that spot too wow and that's really cool i guess alex the janitor here was telling me that saint paul released peregrine falcons to counteract their pigeon problem oh so if you I guess Warner was over there yesterday and saw him take out a pigeon. Yeah, I've, I've seen it happen a few and times. And chomp it. I've yeah. seen, it, seen it happen a few times. They'll <laughs> sit up on the third, the roof of the third floor here, and they'll dive down and 
knock birds out of the sky oh, and pick them up off the ground. Yeah, wow. they're, they're predators. That's insane. And of course, you know, in a few years, we'll have a peregrine falcon problem. And <laughs> yeah. They'll bring in the gorillas. Exactly. <laughs> remember, remember the book? Uh, I know an old lady who swallowed a fly. Yeah. There we go, right there. For those of you that don't know it, look it up. Next thing you know, she's opening her throat and swallowing a goat to go hopefully kill some peregrine falcons. Yes, we have a 30-foot-long Hot Wheels drag race that we, we have races. Six-lane race, yeah, and, and it's great because we have a kid's class and we have an adult's class, and I think the adult's just as much into it as the kids. Oh my it's God. It's gotten more. And it's gotten more, more, yeah, yeah, exactly. But the kids are better. All the kids are, <laughs> yeah. kids are fun, the kids oh, yeah. are fun, yeah. Oh my God, wait, what's, 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 a, what's a Hot Wheel race look like? You just set it up on a track and let it bloom? Or yeah, well, people bring you, in their, their custom cars? Or? You, well, you can't modify the cars. You can't? Nope, they okay. just have to be you know, purchased stock. at the store. Gotta be stocked. Yeah, and we just, um, it's just a, a double drop, 30 foot long track, and we line them up race them and we roll the die so it's random of which which lane you get because right. you know on certain days certain lanes are faster sometimes yeah. lane six is the hot lane sometimes lane two lane every day baby yeah <laughs> and so so to keep it completely random you have to roll a die to choose to get your lane choice and stuff but i love it That's yeah we do funny. we do you know eliminate or qualifiers and then the winners of the qualifiers go into head-to-head -head elimination and just race the cars. Race is that cars. A, is that track around here? That's like that doesn't leave the building. No, we, does it? It, it, we assemble it every time. Oh, okay, yeah, so it's, it's not actually like, up on one. Of it's sitting in a crate somewhere. Okay. Yeah. It's, okay, okay. It's like a bright orange, like plastic. It's just one yeah. of those tracks. Exactly. It's just like yeah, I know. I remember. I remember yeah. it completely. I'm still yeah. a big kid. What can I say? We, you know what? <laughs> we all are, yeah. right? Like uh, yeah, a little bit, we, a little more, some more than others. I think people come here for the beer mm -hmm. because it's a brewery, and they stay for the history. <laughs> so as a bartender, I, I kind of meet people every day. Um, a lot of people are local or they, they used to be local. So we get people in here that say, oh yeah, as a teenager, um, my friends and I, we used to break into here and have parties and like skateboard and, and tag stuff. And up on the second and third floor, you can still kind of see the graffiti that um, happened here when it was abandoned. And some of it is just so detailed and so beautiful. It's a part of the history of the building for sure. Um, I love working here because it, it, it kind of came full circle. It was a brewery. It's been through all these changes, um, through like the abandonment, and now it's a brewery again. So it's just cool that people have memories of it when it wasn't a brewery, and now they're coming back and having beer here. They're mm -hmm. bringing their children here, sharing their memories of it. That's the one kind of that's the kind of thing you only get when you get like a really good, yeah, an old building with a good amount of history. Mm -hmm. I think that just is just the neatest. Yes, it for sure is. When was the last time you cried? Oh, when was the last time I cried? Uh, it wasn't that long ago, and it was. Uh, over some sports success by uh, a handicapped child. That's a good one. I'm very involved in sports. Yeah. In what ways? Oh, uh, well, I, I own uh, a hockey training program called OS Hockey for Girls Hockey. It's probably the largest hockey training program. In, it, definitely in Minnesota, it might be na nationwide, it might be the largest. Wow. Uh, we had six players on the Olympic team, plus one on the Korean Olympic team this year, uh, South Korean team, because she she's from here, but was adopted. 
and her sister Hannah Brandt played on the U.S. team, and Melissa played on the South Korean team. Oh, yeah! So wow. There were six kids on the U.S. team that I personally coached at one point in my life. Wow, so. that's awesome! Way to yeah. go! That I mean, okay. So I'll, now I got to do another line around question. What was your like? What's your day job before this? Like, what did you like? That's this probably is your day job now. It's pretty, yeah, pretty big. day yeah, and cool. night. Yeah. <laughs> and weekends. And weekends. No. Um. Well. I, I have a degree in graphic design. I owned a design firm for many years, sold that to my partners, then went on an eight-year run of working for myself, developing database-driven websites and credit card processing websites. So I was semi-retired, basically, having a lot of fun when my friend John Warner convinced me we should come save a brewery. <laughs> and now you're having more fun. Well, now that, now that I've got you around, yeah. yeah. <laughs> When is the last time you cried? Probably a couple of weeks ago over one of those 911 calls that a kid makes about their parent being down. Those always make me cry. Ugh. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but they're okay. They're okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Let's get back to work. Looks like they're getting busy over Thanks, there. Thank you so much, Hannah. And thank you so much, Franco. My pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's um let's grab a beer. What do you think? Yeah. Thanks, Franco. Thanks, Hannah. Next time you're out in the Twin Cities, make sure you hit up Flat Earth Brewery. Tons of photos of this old place are up online at cyclingcistron.com. Go check it out. Franco wound up giving us a pretty insane tour of the other abandoned rooms in the brewery. The pictures of that are available now, but the audio will be available sometime next week. If you want to give that a listen. The Gigantic Bicycle Fest is almost upon us. This episode is coming out on August 23rd, and the festival starts August 24th. If you haven't picked up your tickets yet, go to cyclingcistron.com or giganticbicyclefest.org to find out more details.